So hopefully you picked up a journal on your way in or your way out last week. And if you have your journals, um, go ahead and grab them. We're going we're gonna to look through some of that this morning. If you don't know what a journal is, you need one today as you exit. Um, in the far corner, uh, that, that journal, there's a spot over there where you can just grab one and, and take it with you. We want you to have it. We believe it will be helpful during this season of Lent for you. Now, the, the food that I would choose to eat if I could only choose one food. I'm, I'm going to give you a guess. Peanut butter. Yes, somebody said it. Um, some, I talk about it way too much. I, I love peanut butter and peanuts and, and all of that. Um, but peanut butter, there's something sacred about peanut butter. You know what I mean? And so I go into my, my pantry um, numerous times during the week, every day, and um, I get one of the big spoons, not one of the small um, cereal spoons, but one of the big soup spoons, you know what I'm talking about? And I have, um, I usually, we always have like a big jar of extra crunchy peanut butter. And so I like to take my big spoon, and this is why I run, basically, so I can eat this kind of stuff. And I, and I get a, as big of a scoop as I can get it. And then, um, right next to my peanut butter, I have a little jar of chocolate chips. And so I like to take the, the top off, and I dip my peanut butter into the chocolate chips, and I kind of spin it around a little bit so the chocolate chips cover it. And then I, I, I cover it back, and then I just eat it. And it's awesome. It's like the best thing in the world. You don't need cookies in your house. You, you just need peanut butter and chocolate chips, and everything will be good. And there's something sacred because all is right in the world when you have a spoonful of peanut butter and chocolate chips. Now, I am um, maybe one of the best dads you've ever seen in your life because, let me tell you why. It's not because of my parenting skills. It's because now my sons do this same thing. <laughs> I have passed it along to the next generation. And... I feel like I've been successful in what I've been working to do. And now, what's interesting about peanut butter and, and, and peanuts, I, I eat it as much as I can, but um, there, there's a story of peanut butter in my family. Like, there's more behind the, the, than just scooping out the peanut and the great taste of peanut butter. There, there's more to it than that. And when I was a kid, and we would go to Asheville, North Carolina for for Thanksgiving, my grandmother's, Grandma, Grandma Haney's house, uh, we'd get there and she would always make a peanut butter cake. And some of you have never heard of this, a peanut butter cake. It's awesome. It's incredible. I, we can give you the uh, recipe if you'd like it. Um, and it's, it's a cake with peanut butter in it and peanut butter icing over the top of it. So, so good. And the secret of the peanut butter icing is uh, what, what bonds the icing together is a cup of brewed coffee. So there's like a, ooh, <laughs> now we're talking. So my grandmother would make this. And I always wondered why my mom didn't make it. And my mom didn't make it because my grandmother didn't actually ever write down a recipe for the peanut butter cake. And she would not share the recipe. And, um, and so my wife, Robin, who is awesome, decided one year to sit in the kitchen and watch my grandmother make the cake and mentally make notes. And so she has been able to recreate the cake that has been so important. Now, even further than like Thanksgiving when my grandmother would make this cake, come to find out this peanut butter cake was developed, the recipe for this cake was developed back in the days of the Great Depression. 
And my family, uh, living in the southeast, were on, you know, you had food rations back in that day, and you were only given certain amounts of food uh, every so often. And my family, um, I think my great-great-grandmother, um, she, great-great-great, I don't remember. Anyway, she, w- she would take the flour and the eggs, right, and some sugar, and they, they would usually make bread, but then she decided, I'm going to put some peanut butter in here to kind of spice it up for the, the, the family members who are out in the, you know, working the fields and all that and see what they do. And so she started this making, every now and then she would make this, put the peanut butter inside the bread, and so what was peanut butter bread became peanut, that was how she got protein, it became peanut butter cake. And so there's so much more of a story than me just taking a scoop of peanut butter and eating it. Like, it's a long, drawn-out story, and some of you are like, what are we talking about? <laughs> Many of us hear stories of, of Jesus, and we think the stories of Jesus begin in the New Testament, but there is so much more to the story of Jesus than what we often think. And it's so much deeper, and and it's so much richer and fuller than what just is on the surface. I mean, most of us have heard about Jesus, right? Most of you have heard stories of Jesus and the the sayings of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And and many of us have heard that Jesus, you know, was on a cross and and then was resurrected, supposedly. And and so we we hear these stories and we think we have this. but, But the story of Jesus is so much fuller than we could ever imagine. You know, Jesus is better than we could ever imagine. Did you know that? Like all the good parts of Jesus that you think about, and some of you are still aren't sure what you believe about Jesus, but all the good that you can think, like Jesus is better than that and fuller and richer and, and so much deeper than just what's on the surface. And so over these next few weeks as we approach Easter, um, we're going to talk about some of the depths of Jesus in the stories that Matthew gives us. And so in the New Testament, uh, the very first uh, package of stories about Jesus is called Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew's brilliant the way he puts his, his book together. And, and one of the things I want you to catch, and if you miss everything else today, uh, if we miss Jesus, we miss everything, right? So I want us to continually be reminded of that through this series that when we, if, if and when we miss Jesus, we've, we've missed the whole story of God with us. We, we've missed this incredible picture and the depth of God's love for us if we miss Jesus. And so we want to we, we kind of turn our attention to Jesus and, and focus on, on Him. Now, uh, I've grown up in the church. Many of you grew up around the church. Some of you have not been in the church, and so you, you're kind of new to the whole Jesus thing. Um, what's interesting in the church over the last 100 to 200 years, uh, we've talked about Jesus and we've talked about the message of Jesus being primarily about when you die... Uh, if you accept Jesus, you can go to heaven. So many times that's been the conversation around Jesus. Now, for most of us, if, if that's the question, like if, if I believe Jesus, then I can go to heaven, and if I don't believe Jesus, then I'll go to hell, then which one are you going to choose? Right? I mean, it's kind of a like no-brainer kind of question. But the depth of the message of Jesus and what Jesus is actually talking about is so much richer and fuller than that conversation about what happens when we die. Like there's so much more to Jesus. And what's interesting, when you actually read the stories of Jesus in the New Testament, Jesus talks more about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven than he talks about anything else 
It's like the thing that he talks about again and again and again. In Matthew, for example, in my Bible, Matthew is 30 pages long. Like if I count it, like I looked at the pages and um, didn't take me too long. I can do math every now and then. And I figured out, so Matthew, the book of, the gospel of Matthew, the, the, the book of Matthew, 30 pages long. You know how many times Jesus talks about the kingdom of God in those 30 pages? 50 times. So at least on every page in the book of Matthew, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. Or in Matthew, usually it's referred to as the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me clear up just a couple of things. Um, just by the way, I'm going to nerd out a little bit today. Are you okay with that? Some of you are like, oh, I don't know if I want to stick around. I'm going to nerd out just a little bit and talk about some, some of the underlying things that are going on, and I hope you'll stick with me a little bit. So in some places, we see the words kingdom of heaven. In other places, we see the words kingdom of God, and we wonder, are those two separate things? Like Matthew almost always uses kingdom of heaven, and uh, kingdom of God is always used in, in other gospel stories, but it really means the same thing. Uh, it, it's, the, it's, it's the same exact uh, concept, and for the, for the Jew, um, they didn't want to speak the word God, his name, because they felt like that was, there was reverence there, that they were revering him if they didn't actually say the kingdom of God. So kingdom of heaven was used, and Matthew is talking to a Jewish crowd, and so he wants to be very careful not to offend them and build walls that might keep them away from God. Does that make sense? So when you see kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, same exact thing. In the book of John, uh, which is the fourth gospel story, the fourth collection of Jesus' stories, um, he actually begins a, a, using another phrase, which is like eternal life. And what's interesting about this is when we think about eternal life, usually we think about heaven, right? But what he wants us to, to, to see and capture and understand is that when, when he says eternal life, he means the kingdom of God, which is life right now, here and now, among us, within us. And, and Jesus just keeps talking about it again and again and again. Okay, now kingdom, when the, just the word kingdom, which is what we put on the front of the journals, the kingdom. Uh, it's like this medieval movie that we want to watch, right? Like if Netflix, if you're scrolling through Netflix, and right now there's all these popular, like the Outlaw King and all these cool movies, and it's like, oh, this massive, big, kind of epic thing going on. And uh, we, we think of kingdoms as in these like geographic regions where kings and queens and armies are trying to take over areas uh, for their king or for their god or whoever it might be. But when we, when we talk about kingdom in the Bible, we want to understand that Jesus is talking about a realm. He's not talking about a geographic location. Does that make sense? Like this is a realm in which there is one will and one way that, that reigns. Does that make sense? Are you with me here? Some of you? Yes? Uh, kingdom, the word, if you divide it out, it's the dominion of a king. The, 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 the realm in which a king reigns. So when we think about Jesus, we want to think about the kingdom of God. Okay, let's try this again. When we think about Jesus, we want to, talk, we want to think about the kingdom of God. Yeah, the, the two kind of go hand in hand. When we, when we talk about Jesus, we want to talk about eternal life, everlasting life, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, which is here. It, and it's not about geography. Now, I know I live in like Pac-12 nation, right? Is that where I live? But we all know that the SEC rules and reigns over all the country. 
I'll mark that off for the next service, not to use that again. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, back to the kingdom of God. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a realm where there is one way, one will that rules over. So when you think about a kingdom, a kingdom has to have a king, right? And it has to have a people. A kingdom without a people is an individual. It's not a kingdom. It's not a, it's not a realm. It's, it's one person. So it's got to have a king. It's got to have a people. And it's got to have a way, like a, a way of life among those people. So in the ancient world, it was the Romans who kind of had power and had their way. And it's why they used the phrase, Caesar is Lord. Have you, have you ever heard this? Like, we, we read in the Bible, Jesus is Lord, but in, in that day, in the first century, it was, no, not Jesus, but Caesar is Lord, right? So their king was Caesar. People were, anyone who lived in the Roman Empire were the people, the Romans, and their way was whatever Caesar said. That was the way that ruled. Jesus comes onto the scene, and he's talking about a revolution. Now, have you ever wondered why the Romans, and, and, and maybe the, the, the Jews are part of this as well, why they put Jesus to death? It seems a little silly, doesn't it? I mean, you have a guy running around just preaching and talking, and like, why would they put him to death? It's because his message was revolutionary, and I think we miss that in today's world. Like, it's revolutionary. He's talking about a new kingdom and a new way of living and a new rule, and this idea, this concept comes face-to-face -face with the Romans who were trying to take over the world. If, you're, if, if your uh, purpose, if, if your dream is to take over the world and you have somebody who comes on the scene who says, hey, I'm, I'm bringing the kingdom of God, like the kingdom of God is here. It's among, like there's something about that that comes against you. And when it continues again and again and you see this itinerant preacher walking around and he's saying again and again, the kingdom of heaven is here, follow, come and follow me, you think to yourself, oh, he's building an army. And, and this, this man is going to build an army who's, who's trying to come against the Romans and this will not, and so they, they have to shut it down. This happened a lot in, in the New Testament world and around this time, around this age. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he says, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it's within you, it's among you, it's around you, it is near. And what Jesus wants us to see is that he's the king. When, you, when it comes to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, Jesus is the king. And the people of God's kingdom, are, it's open to anyone who would choose to follow Jesus. And the way of Jesus, what is it? It's love. It's love. It's not about power over others. It's not about strength. It's not about manipulation or coercion. It's about none of that. The way of Jesus is always, always, always the way of love. And I think one of the things that's difficult for us, and this might get me in trouble with some in the room, email me later, joe at mcdowell.church, let me know, <laughs> is any time we believe that the kingdom of God advances by forcing our will on other people, we're, we're, in con we're working in contrast to what Jesus did. Jesus' way of love was always the way to further God's kingdom. It wasn't by some force or manipulation or coercion in the world. It was always, always, always love. It's why we come back to love again. When Jesus was asked, the most important thing, like, 
what's the most important thing, Jesus? It's to love God and to love others. Like, that's the most important thing when it comes to the kingdom of God. Are you with me still? Yeah. God is breaking through. Matthew wants us to see this. We're going to read this again and again, that, that, that God is breaking through, and, and he's, he's, he's redeeming and restoring what we have messed up. Now, is there anyone in the room today that has made a mess of life? <laughs> All of us can raise our hands there. Like, have we, have we created more chaos in this world? Yes. Have we made a mess of a relationship? Yes. Do some of us who are parents wish we could go back and change some of the ways that we parented? Yes. Why? Because we're human and we make a mess of things. And we wish we could go back and change it, but, but, but we can't. And what God wants to do through, through this, this person of Jesus and the announcement, the proclamation, the life, the death, the resurrection that we're going to look at, like what, what he wants to do is redeem and restore that which we messed up. And we got to be really clear about that. Like we're the ones who have created the chaos that we see around us. It's easy for us to point our fingers at different places and people and groups of people and say, oh, they're the one. No, no, no. We, like, you want to know what's wrong with the world? I'm wrong with the world. I'm what's wrong with the world. And, and I think we all have to come to that place where we can say, you know what, I've, I've messed this up. Jesus invites us to that place. And, and, and he doesn't invite us there to, like, like hit us with that. He invites us there to release us from the pain that that causes and the, the pain that holds us back from what he wants us to experience, which is, which is God's love. So are we ever going to get to the actual words of Jesus? Yes, right now. So Matthew begins with the story of the birth of Jesus, and he actually begins with the lineage of Jesus. So it even goes back before the, the, the birth of Jesus because he wants us to know that what we find in Jesus doesn't just begin at the birth of Jesus, but it begins at the creation of the world. So it begins way, 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 way back. But then he tells us the birth story of Jesus. Um, he tells us about Jesus being baptized, and there's this incredible picture. Just side note real quick. I hope you'll read this this week, Matthew chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, just kind of get into the story of Matthew. But he tells us about the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus is baptized. And he tells us that as he's coming back out of the water, like that God, his father, says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, right? This, like I am pleased in what I see here. And there's this picture of a dove that like descends on Jesus, the Holy Spirit that like fills him and kind of leads him in, in, in his life. Fathers in the room. This is the side note real quick. Do you know how important it is for you to speak life into your children? Mothers, you too. I, I'm not like setting that aside as not necessary because it is. You are so much better at, at this than we are. But men, 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 can you come with me for a minute? Like our children are longing for our blessing and us to proclaim to them that we are proud of them. Did you know that? Um, if we're honest, many of us are longing for our parents' approval, even as we get, I mean, 43, 44, 45, like we're longing for an approval of a parent. And it feels so silly to us, doesn't it? 
at times, like, really, do I really need their approval? Like, am I really caught up in that? But we are. And like God, through, through this story with Jesus, like gives us a picture of like, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. I can't tell you how much it'll mean to your kids if you'll just call them. Tell them, I want you to know I'm proud of you. I am pleased in you. It's like a game changer in life. Anyways, so then Jesus is like led into the, the desert and he's tempted. He runs through all these temptations and then, here it is, from then on, from that point on, and here's where like the, the new kind of ministry day for Jesus begins. From then on, Jesus began to preach or proclaim. He, he, he proclaimed, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Like this was the proclamation of Jesus across his ministry. And Matthew wants us to know, like this was the main thing. This was the, the, the main thing. From this point on, his, his proclamation was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now that w- might scare some of us. So does that mean God is like coming after me? Like I need to hide some of the things that I've got going on in my life. No, 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 no. That's not what Jesus wants. Like, repent for the kingdom of heaven. Like, the love of God is close by. Like, open up to him. He's pursuing you. And we talk about this every now and then. Um, Those of you who have kids or grandkids, when your kids start walking, you know, and they're kind of stumbling around or they're, they're learning to ride a bike. Some of you have kids that are learning to ride a bike and they're kind of stumbling. And as a parent, you're like pursuing them. You're behind them, like on their bike. You're, you're, you're following. Why do you do that? Is it because you're angry if they make a mistake and fall? No, no, it's because you love them so much. You're trying to protect them and keep, like that's God pursuing us. And I think Jesus is saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. God's love is closer than you can imagine. Now, the word repent, uh, there's all kinds of baggage around that word. Like repent, sometimes we think, oh, if I come to the cross and tell God everything I've done that's, that's, that's wrong and feel sorry about it, like that's repentance. We've kind of missed it if that's our view of repentance. There's, there, there's, there's a depth to the word. So I want to talk about this just for a second. I'm going to geek out again for a minute. Are you still with me? Okay. The, the, the Greek word in repent literally means to change one's mind or to return or to turn around. So kind of some different ways of thinking about it. But repentance, when, when Jesus talks about repentance, he's not talking about like going into a booth and telling a priest like how sorry you are or just making a list of all the things that you... When Jesus says repent for the kingdom of heaven, he's saying like if, if that, this is the direction of your life that like the, the kingdom of heaven being near, like you can turn back and experience the love of your heavenly father. Like if you'll turn around, like repent, turn around, change your mind for the kingdom of heaven is near. Turn around. Now, in, in, our, in our minds, this, this concept of the kingdom of heaven and, and, and the ways that we think about heaven when we die and the life that we live today, sometimes there's just such a disconnect. And if you're like me, you're like, what does this mean for my life today? Like, what does it mean that God wants, like, his, his will and his way? Like, does he want me to follow all the rules? I mean, what is, what is this? Well, to get to that answer, we have to go way back in the story. 
And if you're around here um, any length of time, you'll realize that we always go back to Genesis chapter 1 at the beginning, because there's so much there at the beginning of Genesis uh, to tell us about ourselves, and we learn so much about ourselves. So if you go back to the story of Genesis, you find that God creates everything that is. He takes this mess of a world. It, It says that it's chaotic and it's kind of swirling, and God brings order out of the chaos, and he puts things together, and he creates the the, the lights in the skies, the, the moon and the stars, and all of that, and, and then he shapes the earth. He brings, he, he brings order to this, this mess, and, and there's water, and there's land, and there's beauty, and there's trees and flowers, and there's cactus. I mean, God came up with that. Like, there's cactus, and all kinds of cactus, and there's jumping choya, which if you're not from here, they don't actually jump. But anyway, it's fun to tell people that they do. Don't get close, because they'll jump on you. Um, like, God creates all of this. And he creates animals. But then do you know what God's crowning achievement on all of creation is? Do you know what it is? It's, it's us. And it's peanut butter and us. <laughs> it's good. It's us. And if you're like me, you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, he messed up a little bit. Like, it's not that great. And, but, but God's, like, the keynote of creation is you and it's me. And if if you go back and read the beginning, listen to this. Listen to, what God, listen to what God's putting together in creation. He's saying, let us make human beings in our own image. So everything else he creates is beautiful and it's awesome and there's so much potential in it. But then he says, I want to create human beings in my own image, in our own image, because God is relational in, in his being. And in the image of God, he created them, male and female, He created them in his image. Listen, out of all of creation, you're the only thing, and I'm the only thing, humans are the only thing that bear the image of God. Is that unbelievable? Like you have the fingerprints of God deep within you. Now you've messed it up a little, and we try to fix it with hairspray and gel and all of that, but down deep within you, the image of God is there. And and God blesses humanity and says, be fruitful and multiply. We'll get that later. Fill the earth. Now listen, now this is kingdom-type language here. Kingdom-type language. Govern it. Reign over everything. Rule over everything. Do you see what God is doing here? God is inviting us to be co-creators and co-kings and queens of the creation he's made. Like that is our role in this world. How awesome is that, that we get to participate in what God has done? Like, this is the kingdom of God, and he invites humanity, created in his image, to be a part of it. And if you read on into chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Genesis, you know what we do? We say to God, basically, we say to God, God, I don't fully trust you even though you're the one who made everything, me included, I don't really trust you, so I actually want to reign my own kingdom. I want, I, want to, I want to reign in my own world. And there's this selfishness that comes about, like we think we can do it better than God. Now, I know none of us would say that, but we think we can do it better. How, how many of you, when you were teenagers, thought you could do it better than your parents told you? Yeah, all of us, right? And we knew we could do it better. And then later in life, we realized, oh my gosh, they knew what they were talking about. Some of it, not all of it, but some of it. They knew what they were t- um, It's like, have you ever been at uh, Target or the grocery store 
and there's a parent with a child and you're just like, man, if I were, if I were that kid's mom or dad, oh, I, would, I, know, I know how to parent. And then you have kids and you're like, oh, it's just different. It's a different game when you have your own kids, right? And then you have a lot more grace for other people. When it, so humans at the beginning, the whole story of the tree was about us, Adam and Eve, humanity, deciding that we can do it better than God and deciding that we want to do it on our own. And that's what's created all the chaos. And it's rebellion. It's our rebellion. We've all rebelled against God. When we tell our kids, hey, don't touch this, it's hot, because we know it's hot, it's not that we want to keep them and not, ha- not let our kids have freedom. It's that we know there's pain there. And that's why God has built things the way he has. And he doesn't want to keep us from things. He wants us to experience the fullness of life, but he wants us to do it without all the pain. But we think we can do it better. The Exodus story in the Old Testament. I'm, I'm going to get back to Jesus, I promise. Just stick with me just for one more minute. Are you still with me? One more minute? Okay. So the Exodus story is the story of God saying, you, you've created this chaos, and so I want to pull you out of slavery and give you a new land where you can let me be your God. You can be my people, and we can start all over, and all the world can be blessed through this, this people, through this land. Do you remember this story, some, some of it? And you know what? you know what? the Israelites did? Give us a king. Because everyone else around us has a king. God's like, I thought we've been through this. Okay. Here's a king. Have you ever done that with your kids? Okay. I know you don't really want it, but here you go. Have your 20th cookie today. You're going to throw up all night, but there you go. (laughs) Right? It's like God saying, okay, here's your king. Chaos. Again. Rebellion, again. Jesus, all of it's been pointing to Jesus. All of it. The the Exodus story, uh, the creation story, the rebellion story, it's all pointing to Jesus. And so Jesus comes onto the scene and he invites humanity back to what God originally planned for us. And that is to rule alongside God as kings and queens of this creation. Like that's what it's all about. The kingdom of God is, is like coming back. Now, I knew that I would lose most of you by this point, and so I thought a cartoon would be helpful. Do you, do you like cartoons? I love cartoons sometimes, and so we're going to watch a cartoon together. Cartoons are good in church, aren't they? And I think maybe this will help explain some of the good news of Jesus and how the kingdom kind of fits into it. So check, check this out. great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile, but a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now, Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger, and he's running towards the city. He's running, and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? 
that despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. So when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now, Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer, and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right. But for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king, that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. Mm. Are you with us? Thanks for watching this channel. So like... The Bible is this long, complete story that finds its fulfillment in in Jesus. Like all of it is pointing to Jesus, and this is for us good news. So, 
when you open your journals this week and you begin reading the stories that Matthew gives us about Jesus, you learn a lot about Jesus, but you also learn a lot about God's kingdom, and then you also learn a lot about you and me. So immediately after this, Jesus is out walking next to the Sea of Galilee. And as he's walking, he notices a couple of fishermen, Peter. He goes through a whole list, four fishermen, uh, Peter being one of them. And you know what Jesus says to him? He says, come and follow me. And I'm going to make you fish for people from now on. Now, can you imagine if you were at your office or working on your homework and, and someone who was announcing God's kingdom came up to you and simply said, hey, come, come follow me. Well, I'm busy. I need to make money to live, and so, you know, I'm good. But, but the story tells us that these two men on the sea dropped their nets and turned toward Jesus and followed him. They gave up everything to pursue Jesus. And I think this is the invitation we're given, all of us. Now, I don't think it means that we are to leave our jobs and to leave everything. Now, for some, maybe, but there are plenty of stories that we'll find where Jesus invites people in but then tells them to stay in what they're doing because he can use them in that place. But the idea of repentance and following has to do with saying, I trust that God can do it and can rule His way is better than my own. Does that make sense? And so I return to what God has created me to, to do and to be, and I receive the good news of Jesus in that. It's this, this invitation to come and follow me. So we're going to sing a couple of songs and as we do this, you know, the stations are open. We have the cross here where maybe you want to come and write a prayer request and put it on the cross. Maybe for you a confession, um, asking God for help in a certain area of your life. There's candles in the back of the room which represent God's presence. Light always represents God's presence. So maybe you want to light a candle and ask him to be with you. There's communion which represents the death and resurrection of Christ, the body and blood poured out for us. So maybe you want to take communion. Uh, there's a prayer station in the far back of the room if you need someone to pray for you. So we're going to give you the freedom to do all of that. But I also want you to, um, I want you to wrestle with the question, am I living under the rule and reign of God and his kingdom? And to get to a specific with that, I want you to think about one decision in your life that you have. Something that you're, you're, you're trying to make a decision about, maybe it's a relationship, your vocation, something you want to buy, all of that, and, and say, am, am I making this decision to build my kingdom or am I making this decision following the way of love in the world? It's a good way to get really practical and zeroed in on how am I living my life today? Is it under my own kingdom or under God's kingdom? Are you with me still? So let's stand and uh, we're going to sing these songs, feel the freedom to move around the room as we sing them. Father God, we uh, turn back to you, we repent, we follow Jesus, and um, we pray that as we do that, that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would give us direction and wisdom in Jesus' name.